Alright, AK Heads, we are back with another episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner. This is episode 3, season 2. If you didn't get an opportunity, make sure you go back to episode 2, where we had a slew of AK Eggheads on the show. And this is not going to be any exception this week either. We've got, uh, or this month, uh, we've got another room full of AK Savants. Uh, getting ready to hit you with some education. So stand by for that. But before we do that, I'd like to introduce Anthony Como with Century Arms, the presenting sponsor of the AK Corner. This is his first time on the Talking Lead podcast. So welcome in, Anthony. Hey, thank you very much. I'm uh, happy to be here. It's pretty cool. Yeah, well, you were kind of thrown to the wolves at the last minute. <laughs> we. We were, we were expecting uh, Adam to be on, but Adam, I guess he had to hop on a plane and, and jet set somewhere. Yeah, yeah. he called me this morning, and he's like, he's like, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? I'm like, you know, working. He goes, well, you know what's more important? You should go on this podcast. I'm like, okay, cool. Or what's more fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely more fun. So it's a good way to spend the afternoon. Right. So, uh, Anthony, you're sales manager, and you're up in uh, – you're not in Florida, right? You're at the, uh, the other location. I'm not. I'm up in Vermont. Vermont. I, I live in the frozen Northland. Speaking of frozen Northland, are you guys getting hit right now? It, it snowed here today for the first time. Actually, I'm in Tennessee. Weirdly, no, uh, it, it has been like horrible and awful until yesterday, and now it's 50 degrees. And all the snow's melted. Oh my gosh, so that's I'm, crazy. I'm super happy. With it. It's by Vermont standards, it's a beautiful summer day outside. Yeah, well, it was 70 here yesterday, and then wow. it's it's snowing today. Damn Tennessee weather. If you don't like the weather today, just wait till tomorrow. Yeah, same here. Typical, same here. typical stuff. So, uh, you you were sent here twofold. Um, you're going to get us updated on the, the latest and greatest since last month. What's going on with Century Arms, Red Army Standard, U.S. Palm? So fill us in. Cool. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I talked to Adam a little bit. I'm like, hey, Adam, you do this every month. Like, what have you talked about? Have you talked about U.S. Palm yet? Uh, and he said that that was open and clear. So uh, we've officially relaunched U.S. Palm. Uh, it's it's under the Century brand, but it's its own standalone thing. Uh, we've got magazines coming out in black and flat dark earth. Uh, we also have the grips coming out in black, flat dark earth, and like a, I, I want to call it Bakelite orange, but it's orange plastic. Sort of looks like Bakelite orange. Okay. I know how people can be sticklers for that. I don't want to say something to make somebody angry. Well, I don't guess you can um, get it exactly like it, or they might sue you, right? Whoever, whoever the original, uh, who the original owner of Bakelite is, maybe yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, probably so not we've, even we've around got, anymore. Probably not even a concern. Are they allowed to do that in I, that part of the world? I don't what, think they're allowed to do that. I, who made, who invented Bakelite? It's a real question. Like, isn't that like a 1920s thing? I, I don't know. It's real old. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been around a minute. It's it's not, very 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 not old. To be a total nerd here, but Russian Bakelite isn't actually Bakelite. Um, there's an interesting history there. So we call it Bakelite, but it isn't. But it's related. Not, so so no. we can't we can't get sued by whoever owns Bakelite. Okay, that's right. That's where I'm I, going. I love to call it Fakelite. That's actually one of my favorite <laughs> terms. Um, you know, but whatever. Uh, it's, it's orange, beautiful orangey AK orange. Um, anyone who's interested in finding out more about US Palm, uh, we've got a website up for it at uspalm.com. Uh, so you can go and check that out and uh, and see more about the products. There's good, nice pictures on there, high resolution. 
uh, kind of goes over all the different details of the magazines and grips and all that. Uh, and then another thing we got going on, uh, shipping into the country right now, uh, we're expanding the Red Army ammo line. Uh, and we're going to have a whole series of new uh, calibers coming into Red Army, um, and we're going to call it Red Army White Box, which I know uh, hmm. we're not the only people who use the term White Box, so it's kind of out there already. Um, so what does White be, Box, when somebody hears that, what do they think? What are we thinking White Box? Well, I, I always think of Winchester White Box because it's like the you know cheap cheap pistola ammo that I buy at Walmart. Yeah. Because, you know. Um, but uh, we use White Box simply Not because, anymore. <laughs> Not at Walmart. Oh, re- yeah, oh, yeah, I say not, not, not recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, but traditionally, we did a whole show on that. Um, so never mind. Oh, did you? It's it's sad. It was a sad day for me when I could no longer roll over to Walmart and get more nine millimeter. Um, but uh, that's aside the point. Um, what we're doing is we're working with another manufacturer uh, in Russia to get ammo from, um, and they're providing us with uh, not only the traditional calibers that we've been doing in Red Army, like uh, seven point six two by thirty nine. Um, two two three five five six, um, and you know more traditional um, uh, Soviet calibers like seven point sixty by fifty four R and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're expanding the line to include more Western calibers. Uh, we're also going to have seven point six two and two two three on this side, but we're also going to have nine millimeter nine by nineteen nine millimeter Makarov forty five three oh eight, and again seven sixty by fifty four R. So it, uh, it really helps us expand, have more calibers available to people, um, and, and that's really what we were going for there. Very cool, and that's I, something that's going to be happening now as, as they're listening to this? Uh, yeah, the, the first shipment, we have shipments coming in uh, December, January, February that are already scheduled. The December shipment is already has, it's arrived at the port, and it's shipping out to our uh, distributors and larger ammo customers now. So you're going to start seeing it on shelves in the next month or so. Very nice. Did one of you guys have a question? Yeah, I um, I think you should have gone with White Army Standard instead white of... White Army Standard. <laughs> if, you really wanted, if you really wanted to virtue signal with the ammo <laughs> brand, you, you could have done it. It would have been um, wide open for you. You know, they they could have mixed it together and called it Pink Army Standard. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I'll too. go back to him. I'll go back and let the uh, the guy in charge of ammo know that he's always looking for good suggestions. So, <laughs> yeah, don't take in the one I just said. So let's yeah, go just, ahead and uh, just, just Google the just Google the uh, Russian Civil War for anybody who hasn't <laughs> who who, had, who isn't up who isn't up on, up on that the Reds versus the Whites. So, so very good. And with that, uh, with our, our guest chiming in here, let's go ahead and introduce our, our guest panel this week. And uh, the voice that you just heard was longtime Leadhead, uh, been on the show many, many times over our seven years uh, in production. It's none other than Curtis Halstrom with the VSO Gun Channel, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome you in. forgot to mention that at one point in time, I was a co-host. Yeah, that's right. You did co-host with me there for a good stint. Uh, yeah, for like a solid month before, like I was like, ah, this is too much work. Can't do it. <laughs> right. We we were on a tear there for a while, but you helped me out. Uh, that was when I was I took over the show completely myself, and I was going solo. So that was a big help to me. And you guys can thank Curtis for our longevity. So Curtis, thanks for joining us. Wealth of knowledge com- coming your way. Uh, also joining us another. Uh, long-time lead head, been on the show several times um, through different iterations, but the latest iteration is with Ackless Defense. 
It's none other than our good buddy Zach Hall, ladies and gentlemen. Howdy. Welcome in, Zach. It's been a minute since you've been on. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time was uh, with Joe and Charlie for something, ugh, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, I don't know. Was that at uh, NRA or SHOT Show, one of those? Uh, yeah, actually, we may have done something at one of those. I think we did SHOT Show this past year. Yeah, I know we talked about the uh, Velociraptor, and that's mm -hmm. something that we're going to touch on today, a little hint of what maybe our topic might be. Uh, so welcome in, Zach. Mm -hmm. Glad to be here, man. And this is uh, new to the Talking Lead podcast, but he's not new to Talking Lead. We did an interview with this gentleman uh, a couple of years back at uh, Range Day at SHOT Show, and we were talking about his... Uh, specific cans that he develops and makes. It's Mike Pappas with Dead Air. Welcome in, Mike. Paul, oh, thanks for having me. I can't believe that uh, you actually let me on. We'll see how this works out for you. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you came highly recommended for the topic that uh, we're going to be discussing today, and I think everybody's catching on to what it is. Uh, but the gentleman that brought all this together and made it happen is... Uh, uh, you know, he's been on, I think you've been on every episode this season so far, our first three anyway. Uh, maybe we'll continue and have you on each and every one, hopefully. But it's uh, our good buddy and supporting sponsor of the Talking Lead AK Corner. It's Brian Keeney with Occam Defense Solutions. Welcome in, Brian. Thank you. Great to be here again. And um, it's also a lot of fun to be by far from the uh, smartest guy in the room. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I can't wait to, to hear what these guys have to say. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're all equally geniuses in your own right and your own, uh, your own specialties there. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, everybody's going to bring something different to the, the show here. And uh, Anthony knows quite a bit, too. So Anthony's going to be taking part in this, this conversation, which our topic is the long-awaited. You guys have been beating me down on this, uh, sending, sending emails, text messages, uh, social media messages. You want to talk suppressing the AK-47. So that's what our topic is going to be today. And uh, with, with all these specialties in the room, we're going we're gonna to get everything answered, all your questions answered, and then some. So um, I guess what we're looking at, you know, we're adding the silencer to your AK. It's not as simple as you might first think. Uh, there's several considerations that you want to think about beforehand. The AK is a battle rifle built first as a battle rifle. Uh, when it's sent overseas or to America, especially uh, for the importation laws and whatnot. They've got to do a lot of conversions and breaking it down and you know rebuilding it and parts have to be changed out. Uh, and then as our, our last episode we let you in on, we talked about, there's a blue bedozen countries that are making AK-47s and everybody's got their own little style and formulas and... Uh, in the barrels and the trunnions and the springs and you know everything's a little bit different everywhere they're made uh so you know it, it's it's not a very consistent rifle you know it's probably the most inconsistent rifle there is in the world uh so finding a suppressor that's going to be able to fit on one you know that that's kind of the challenge that that we're looking at um so with that, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the the history of the the AK-47 being suppressed, and I don't think any of us are, are you know, real beefy on the history of that, but Zach knows a little bit about that. Zach, can you touch on maybe some of the uh, the Soviets' uh, first attempts at suppressing the AK-47? <clears throat> yeah, the... Um some of the early ones were uh, like the the PBS one and PBS two uh, stamp sheet metal uh, cores in those with a reasonably crude um, tube on the outside. The they incorporated brakes in the front because that's what they were used to on the front of their AK. And to time them, they had a piece of sheet metal that fit into some notches on the outside. The the rear of the mount would rotate and lock into the um the the detent on the on the front sight block on the ak and the way they're cast and machined you can't have them screw down the same way every time so you have to be able to time the body of the silencer that has the brake on it to the mount section and it was just like a regular slotted screw head with a piece of sheet metal that detented it in place oh wow Yeah. Sounds very complicated. (laughs) Overly complicated and really simply executed. It's legendary uh, AK simplicity and just just the crudest way of doing it. It still is functional. Yeah, and I guess the majority use of that was with their special forces with the Spetsnaz. Yeah, it it would be very, very limited issue. Yeah. Well, even today, though, like our main body forces in the United States aren't issued those devices. So that's true. That's so true. you have to remember. And then also the Soviet doctrine being different, maybe perhaps even to say a little bit farther, uh, Soviet value on life being a little bit mm-hmm. more, a little less than what we traditionally think of as far as like soldiers and things like that is concerned. They yeah. conscripted, they conscripted services and, and things of the like. So, the rifles having different methodologies to them. One being predominantly fielded as a machine gun for for street to street fighting, and the other being initially fielded as a rifle. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They transitioned pretty quickly over to the uh, the stuff like the AK uh, uh, AS Val and other dedicated, integrally suppressed stuff, and the nine by thirty nine. Yeah. So. Uh, let's talk about the, the can, the silencer itself, uh, the, the design, the principle, the philosophy, uh, of use for that. Who wants to take that one? Okay. Don't everybody jump on it at once. <laughs> for the I think Mike would be a good one to start off with. I was going to say, why don't we, we have a, we have a silencer manufacturer in the house. I, I think, uh, don't make <laughs> me call you out. <laughs> well, you're talking about okay. I would tell you this if I I think to answer that question as easily as I could. You pretty much have like let's say you have lightning which makes thunder because of the heat differential. So a gunshot sends out a big high pressure blast of superheated air into ambient air and then you get your big boom. If you can delay that a little bit and sink that heat off and make that 
on the distal end of the can, the muzzle end of the can, if you will, if you can reduce that air temperature and slow that down and kind of ease that in at a lower temperature and kind of diffuse into the air, the ambient air that you're in, it will be considerably quieter. And I think that's kind of the base premise of kind of our game is to get that heat out of the gas onto the can and get that air cooled is kind of what I would tell you is, and there, you know, a million different ways to do that. And, you know, little, um, ambiances along the way, but I think that's kind of the basic kind of talk about the talk about the main components of a silencer with the baffles and the caps. Well, you've got to have first a, some way to attach it via QD direct thread built onto the barrel integral. At some point you're going to transition from rifled barrel to the can. And then the, I would tell you the first thing in the can is a expansion chamber. We would call it a blast chamber. And then the very first baffle that it runs into there, you'd call that a blast baffle. And then you have your own take on what specific type of baffle that you use there. You know, cones or K's or different chambers. And I mean, there's a trillion different ways to kind of try to solve that problem. And then you would send your gas through your baffle stack and send it on its way out the end. There you go. So in a nutshell, that's, that's what a, a suppressor or silencer is. And uh, the purpose of that is to, one, reduce decibels and to dissipate sound. Yeah, it's a basic muffler concept. Yep. Make that thing tolerable. So now that we got that concept down, I think uh, let's hop on Brian's outline here and let's talk about the AK-47, the problems that are inherent to the AK-47 and uh, suppressing it. So let's talk about probably the, 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 the first thing would be the threads. That seems to be maybe the most uh, uh, pain in the ass part to address, right? Zach shaking his head, yeah. Yeah. When I when I first started working for Joe uh, several years ago, I needed um, I needed something to test on, just a, a test platform, new can I was designing, and I checked 15 different house test AKs we had here, and not a single one had threads concentric enough for me to actually put a can on and test it. Wow. Like, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> and really, what that kind of goes to is the manufacturing process. So... There are a couple different ways to manufacture barrels, but one of them being the way we do it in the United States is we you basically forge a barrel around a mandrel, and then while it's still on the mandrel, they usually will do the threading then. That's not necessarily the case with all AK-47 barrels. Right. Uh, many of the rifles chambered in the 7.62x39 use the 14 by one millimeter with the left-hand threading. Uh, you can get into the five four five by three nines that use the twenty four by one and a half uh, left hand, uh, and then you even get into the Ro- Romanian AKs that are twenty two point five by one point five, Galils, Valmets, Yugos. I mean, everybody's got some kind of different crazy threading, which gets you know into the the problem of all the different countries that are manufacturing these different companies, all the different specs and then trying to get 
uh, a suppressor that would actually fit on there. So the threading uh, is definitely a big problem. Yeah, the uh, the larger threads, the 22 and 24 millimeter, are built into the the front side or the gas block or whatever, and that's attached to the barrel. So depending on how the the bore of that block was reamed or cut, will determine on how concentric it is and how square it is, everything else. They weren't designed for that. They were just designed to have a brake put on them. Right. And here in the States, for most things, one of the end results is to have it square enough for both accuracy reasons when you put a brake on there, good square faces make for consistent rifles, or putting a can on the end. Yeah. And, and the the importance of the threading and having your threads and your your can align is because you want it you want it straight when it goes out so you don't have baffle strikes mm-hmm. or catastrophic yeah. failures. Yeah, yeah, and there's sort of the the problem can it can get really down in the weeds, but I'll I'll try and sum it up. You as you've already said, Marty, and just to to divide the conversation equally, we've got the problem of just attachment right that you've got all these wacky threads out there that's, that's a good way to say attachment yeah. there's 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 an attachment challenge by virtue of there not being one really good standard and then you've got this other problem of alignment and um as as curtis alluded to with hammer forged barrels in the u.s there's pretty good quality control over the straightness of a hammer forged barrel but in comblock former comblock countries that that barrel, when you're hammer forging it, can end up kind of like a noodle. Like there's nothing that says that 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 mandrel has to stay straight, and often it doesn't. And so, from the the smartest guys I've talked to, you seem to agree that the um, the last two inches of the barrel is what more or less determines what direction the bullet's going to travel in. So it's not enough to take the center of the muzzle and the center of the chamber and imagine a straight line between them. And that that's where your bullet's going. You actually have to probe the last two inches of the barrel to know where the bullet's going to end up. So mm-hmm. you you can't just be square to that nominal center line with those threads. You have to be square to where the bullet's actually going to go. Yeah. And so with hammer forging, that I think that's been solved on the AR side. I have not seen good evidence that it's been solved on the AK side. Um, the U.S. barrels that we have made um are button rifled so they're drilled straight first and this isn't an attempt to solve this one of the attempts to solve this issue but to just give you an idea i I ran the math on how square the the muzzle face has to be to that's that last two inches of the bore and it turns out that if you're off by more than a half a thousandth over the diameter of the muzzle on an ak um, you're you've eaten up about half of your safety margin on a typical can. Oh, so wow. if you're off by a thousandth or a thousandth and a quarter, you might get a a, a baffle strike or a front cap strike. So that align and and that's not the same when you're talking five eighths twenty four or half twenty eight. There's different math. So it has to do with that that on the AK there's no shoulder like on the outside of a typical AR barrel or AR ten barrel with that nice shoulder that the muzzle device rests against that's the suppressor adapter or if it's a direct thread same thing there isn't any of that on the ak you've got to register against this thing that's you know a little bit smaller than half an inch this little itty bitty annulus or you know donut that you've got to sit on 
So that's a big source of all the problems with getting them to be axially aligned with where the bullet's going to go. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Brian sent me a message one day at like three in the morning. He's like, "Hey, are you up?" And I said, "Of course I'm up. It's three in the morning." You know, and he's like, "Can you check my math?" So he sent me nine pages of calculus. <laughs> oh my god! And I'm like, "Dude, this is summation notation in it. I have to figure out. I have to remember what what these symbols mean." And I was, I just ignored the text. All right, ignored the email. I woke up the next morning early so that I could look at it again, so I could check the math. And I was like, okay, I remember how to do this now that it's you know seven or eight in the morning. But three in the morning, we have a hard fast rule around here that calculus doesn't happen after midnight. <laughs> so <laughs> I, that was the dumb version too. It it can be done in about five oh, lines. No, no don't even. even. I, I I sent Curtis my my rough draft, and it was not pretty. Because, yeah, it's been a while for me, too. <laughs> Am I the only one that thinks no calculus after midnight should be the name of a punk band? Cause, cause <laughs> totally. <sure>. Totally. <laughs> I think it should be a rule. So so we run into our, our threading, so the attaching, attachment issue, the alignment issue. What other concerns uh, does the AK present when you're trying to put a can on it? So there, there are four sources of sound with any firearm when you discharge it. One of which is the action. So you have an AK and it has that clackety-clack noise when you work the action. That happens every single time, whether you're pulling the trigger or you're just working the action. Uh, the one that we're actually addressing with the can is the report that comes out of the end of the muzzle, which Mike so eloquently described. Uh, way better than I could have. <laughs> the sound of the bullet, if it breaks the sound barrier going down range, that makes noise too. You often hear that. And then the last one is any port pop or or um, sometimes it'll come out of the action as it opens. Mm -hmm. It is another jet of gas that is wherever the system has a vent, it's going to leak out of it. And it's going to do the same thing that Mike described. So that superheated gas, whenever it reaches ambient air, is going to make noise. Whether that's out of the action when it unlocks, or whether it's out of a vent port, like near the front where the gas system starts on an AK, those are all things. And when you add a can to the end of a firearm, it increases the input pressure on the gas system. Yeah. So, so pressure is going a concern, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to have a much that pressure there is going to be at a at a high point when you put a can on may, the end of it. May I speak to Port Pop for one second? Yes, please. I think this is a very important concept that eludes most shooters. We get the feeling that all the gas is going down the barrel towards the muzzle, and it's all going to go out the muzzle like the projectile does. But in actuality, it's no different than blowing up a balloon. That gas pressure is equal in all directions. So when you're on a semi-auto, auto, any kind of action that gets opened up by the firearm itself, that gas will try to go back down the barrel with the same kind of speed and direction as it will 
go out the muscle. It's just finding the path of least resistance. So that port noise is kind of a big deal when there's steel pressure in the barrel and that action's opened up. You've got just as much heading out the side or, like you say, uh, through the gas system itself as you do going out the muzzle. I just don't think that we always think of it like that in the terms of how it's actually happening. It, it absolutely is the balloon concept, like you described. The, if, you, if there wasn't a barrel there to, or a chamber to support the brass or the steel casing, the casing would detonate. Because the casing is, or the casing is just a, a shell to bring all the components necessary for ignition into bearing with the rest of the operational components. So, really, what it comes down to is you got a thick barrel that that funnels the gas in a particular direction, but that bullet is being pushed down the barrel by pressure, and the carrier of the gun. In this case, we have a piston when we're talking about AKs, but direct blowback guns like 9mm guns and the, and the like, it is literally held into place by the spring tension and the weight of the reciprocating mass of the bolt. So if you simplify the system and think about it like that, those same forces are still happening at any vent point throughout the gun, whether that is at the breech, whether that's at a designed vent port, or one that is not designed, a gap in the receiver, for instance, could be all that you need for a vent port to exist. Mm-hmm. So when you slap, when you slap, I mean, it's already a gas hog as it is with the AK, and then when you slap that can on it, that, that uh, silencer, then it just exacerbates this and mm-hmm. causes a lot of, a lot of back pressure on that. Changes the uh, the high pressure gas dwell time curve. So there's more chamber pressure for, well, not more chamber pressure. There's a longer time when there's the higher chamber pressure. And as it unlocks and moves backwards, it's still under pressure and you get more port pop. It's really noticeable in the blowback guns. You can, you see the bolt velocity, you can see the cases ejected much harder because they don't have that um, mechanical resistance that a locking bolt has. Yep, very good point. So uh, other problems, uh, we want to address the problems, and we're going to address the solutions. So uh, we want to make sure we get all the problems out. Any, anything else you guys can think of? Well, yeah, that we could go a little bit further down the pike with the back pressure issue there. Um, the original design for the Kalashnikov, they wanted it to be able to fight down in the ridiculous Soviet winters, and I don't know exactly what that number is, but I have heard the number negative 40 centigrade, which happens to be negative 40 Fahrenheit, that it should still be able to cycle. Don't know if that's true or not, but if you look at the size of the gas port in the barrel, it certainly makes sense with the nominal um, gassing on an AK. And memory escapes, my memory leads me for uh, exactly what the number is on the stock AK, but it's large. It's well over three millimeter. Mm. And um, the reason you need that is because when ambient temperatures are very low, the pressure, um, and Curtis being the chemist can do a much better job explaining this, but basically um, explosions or exothermic reactions in general, ones which give off heat, um, depending on the starting temperature of the material, you vastly change whether you go hotter or colder, what the peak pressure and burn temperatures are. And when when the powder is cold and the gun is cold, you're going to have much lower pressures, and you'll see that on a chrono 
and it can be so bad at these lower temperatures that there's not enough gas available to cycle the action appropriately. So the way you combat that is by lowering the impedance, or that is the resistance mm -hmm. of the path of the gas to get back to the piston. And the way you lower the resistance, thinking about water is a great way to go. You open up that valve, right, to let more water through. And so on the AKs, on the classic AK, because it is designed to work over these extreme temperature ranges, when you get into the temperatures that Americans typically shoot at, the gun is what we call overgassed, meaning there's far more than enough gas traveling back against the piston to effectively cycle it reliably. So what uh, this will get into a solution, but you know we should be obviously looking at that hole there. And well, I'll talk about the problem. The problem of having that big hole that is already cycling the gun really hard, which is the majority of the felt recoil in a in an AK is that bolt carrier hitting the back of the you know the rear trunnion where the stock is and whacking the shooter in the shoulder and causing the gun to to, to veer upwards. Um, when you add a something that increases back pressure like a suppressor to the muzzle of that AK with a stock gas um, port size it becomes even more overgassed and guns tend to kind of hammer themselves apart. So that's that's the problem side of the equation with off-the-shelf AKs can be just an, a, an extreme excess of gas when you throw a can on there. And Mike could probably talk about, or, or and or Zach, could talk a little bit about maybe later on on the solution side, um, how they trade off back pressure and noise suppression. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Does anybody else have anything to add to the problems? Anthony, you got anything? Uh, I think we've covered the major issues. I can't think of yeah, anything think else so. pops into my mind. Um, I have one one thing that I could that I could add, depending on sure. which AK it is. Um, some of our 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 trend these days is shorter is better. So the shorter, everything's sexier when it's shorter. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> um, but um, so the the guns, we see that the that triangle front post is getting closer and closer to the muzzle, or I guess the muzzle is getting closer and closer to the triangle front sight post. Be cognizant of your mounts when you are mounting your cans if you're if you're using one of the short crank systems, because a lot of times, depending on the way the mount is shaped, it may interfere with the can. It may flex it in one particular direction. Uh, the big ones that I've seen are the 9mm AKs, where they're super close up there, and that front sight block is actually touching the mount or touching the can body, and that is flexing the can in one particular direction, and that may cause um, may cause deflection of the round or a battle strike. And along those same lines, you don't have to just be so far in one direction to have a baffle strike to have issues with the can. You can get too close to a baffle and have massive point of impact shift. And that is caused by, by I'm just gonna get a little bit technical, it's called the Mach wave, so or the Mach angle. And if you look at a high velocity bullet, it has a cone of air around it. And you can actually measure the velocity of a round if you've got a fast enough camera and can see that Mach wave. That Mach wave, when it comes into contact with a, with a baffle, as in it gets too close to a baffle, can start to push the bullet 
off of its what would have been its true path if it gets too close to a, uh, a baffle. And um, that will cause massive point of impact shift. Sometimes many feet or yards, depending on the depending on the range. So that is something else to look out for. If even if it your rod goes right down the center, but it's too close to one of those baffles, you can have an issue. And some cans are not bored for seven six two by thirty nine. So keep that in mind. You have to know that when you're buying a perspective can that that bore. Um, Help me out, guys. What is the what is the size of a seven six two by thirty nine projectile versus like a three hundred eight, three eleven versus a um, three hundred eight? Mm-hmm. So a little bit bigger can cause an issue depending on how the can is bored. Yeah, and we'll talk about the rod that you're talking about uh, when we get into the the solutions of problems. Um, so good point. That's a, a good addition to the problems. I think we should get into the solutions now. Uh, let's not overwhelm everybody with all the problems with not giving them some solutions here. They're just going to give Sorry, up. Sorry, I'm a pessimist. No, that's a, you, you're a truist. <laughs> you tell the truth. You speak at the truth, my brother. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go back where we started. We started with the threads, uh, all the different types uh, of threads that we've got out there coming from all the different countries, all the different manufacturers. What's the solution for that? Well, Mike's not going to toot his own horn, so I'm going to do it for him. <laughs> I was waiting for him. Well, yeah, hang on. Can, can, I, can I give a really crappy solution first? Well, yeah, if it's a solution. Let me go to a really good solution. The really crappy solution is they make thread adapters. So it's another piece that goes on your – and I can see – I don't know if he's got his microphone on, but I can see Zach's face. He's like, no. Tolerance no, no, no. stacking. Tolerance in the threads between the gun and the adapter, and then you've got tolerance in the threads between the adapter and the muzzle device or the can. And if you got a muzzle device going on a can, there's tolerance between the, the that device and, and the actual suppressor. So when you talk about tolerance stacking, you can get way off into the weeds. So sometimes it'll work. Don't trust it Most unless times you verify won't. it yourself. So, so there's one thread adapters. Uh, I mean, it's it's a solution. But so, what's what's the next? I mean, you could have it rethreaded. You know, you could take it and spend a bunch of money on getting your your barrels rethreaded. A lot of times, you can't do that even. Uh, what's what's another solution to that, Mike? For us, we use a thread insert, so you can change. I'll just kind of run through a few in my mind. Okay. 14 left, 14 right, 14 left long, 16 mil, 15, 22, 26, um, 13, half 28, 5 eighths, 9 sixteenths. We make a myriad of thread inserts for a Wolverine that can be screwed into the back of the can, and they're all machined true together, unlike sometimes, like you were saying, with the off-brand or tolerance stacking with stacking a bunch of adapters up. This still just gives you the one thread to the muzzle, and then it threads into the suppressor body. And it gets you that that, fit that you need up against the shoulder. Yeah, correct, correct. Well, it depends. I mean, certain adapters will... You know, when you put your thread insert in, a half-28 one needs a shoulder to push against. 
I mean, kind of. You could tread it long enough so the muscle could seat against it, but typically speaking, um, five-eighths will shoulder against the barrel shoulder, but unless you're talking like FN scar style threading or AK type threading, then it's going to shoulder on the muzzle of the barrel. Like Brian says, onto the part where he hates. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little target donut. Muzzle indexing is such a pain. Yeah, so, sure. So there's, there's some other... Yeah, Mike came out with... This was my first exposure to dead air. Mike came out with this uh, cool silencer a while back called the Wolverine. And um, it it does a whole bunch more than just the thread adapter there. And um, it, he solved the the conical, uh, or sorry, the, the baffle strike issue by cutting the profile of the baffles in a cone shape so that even if you're off in angle by a pretty significant amount, it won't hit the baffles. And it, it there's a little bit of a price you pay that Mike can explain, but there's, there's a bunch of features stacked into this one can um, that's inspired, I believe, by a Russian one that maybe you can talk about that, that make it kind of the, the push-button easy solution for those who want to get in and have one can work with the, you know, the adapters cost extra, but you can potentially get one can and have it fit on pretty much any AK you've got. Well, that, yeah, like you said, the idea to get it to interface with the front, front sight detent pins, and they're all a little different distance depending on the thread size. So to get it to help to lock on the barrel, and then, yes, the bore of it is very funnel-shaped, and that does two things. That allows more gas venting and reduces port noise to the shooter. It also, it will increase muzzle output noise, but you've got to get that bore opened up if you're going to deal with super over gas guns. And then when the threads are not just off to the side, but they can be crooked and the muzzle face can be any manner of direction. So you need to Kind of throw that hot dog down a little bigger hallway sometimes to get it to come out the end. I was hoping that somebody was going to use that. You're welcome. Nice. So uh, that addresses our thread uh, problem. Are there other uh, solutions to that? Anything you guys can think of? That's the two best ones. Make a, a can that can has the tolerance in it to accommodate for the non-concentric threads or slight angularity off, or recut the recut the threads on the gun. That's about the only two ways to deal with uh, an issue like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of guys will. Um, my brother was actually just trying to do this, and he was like, "I'm thinking about rethread my barrel five eight twenty four, so that I can." You know, just put a standard thing on. I was like, that's not going to work. And he's like, yeah, it'll work. I'm like, no, it won't. And he's like, well, and my brother and I do this thing where he'll bicker with me a little bit about me being right, him being right. And so I just, I've learned that I just let him go. And then he came back about two hours later and he's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> and I'm like, what? 
he's like, an AK barrel is not five eighths in diameter. I'm like, I yeah, I knew that. <laughs> so that's the that's and that exists because it has that's the size of the gas the gas block mm-hmm. hole. Yeah. Uh, I'm the terminology slipped in my mind, but the bore of the gas block. Yeah, the bore. Of the, thank you. The bore of the gas block is that size. That's the size that the barrel is made to fit in there. So again, one of those things where the Soviets never intended for it to have anything to do with this. So adapting it to American tech. There are a few things that, in theory, well, why don't you just do it that way? Well, because it won't actually work yeah. because it's not it's called, size. Properly. Called physics. Yeah, it's not going to work. This episode of the Talking Lead AK Corner Season 2 is brought to you in part by Occam Defense. The guys at Occam love the AK, but didn't love burning their hands, getting cut by their pre-sharpened gun, or the lack of options for accessories. After spending a few years in the lab, they've recently released the ODS 1775, which brings the best of the AR family to the Kalashnikov's reliability. It's still an AK under the hood. AK mags, forged Polish AK parts, but with American aerospace manufacturing practices and ingenuity. Check them out at OccamDefense.com or on Instagram at Solutions. All right, so um, that addresses our threads. Um, what were other issues? The, uh, the back pressure? Mm-hmm. Back pressure seems to be a big, uh, big problem, the overgassed AK. What's uh, what's the solution for that when we're looking at uh, putting a, a silencer on an AK? So there's like three solutions that I can think of. One is um, an adjustable gas block, which is common on on other variants of rifle. Not so common on the AK. Right. Not super easy to get your hands on. Um, you know, I think RD offers them um, as an option on their guns. Um, and um, Definitive Arms has a model that I think they install on their guns. Um, there's also the uh, KNS adjustable gas piston um, that that is kind of it's about as user friendly as AK smithing gets. You have to drill out a rivet that's pretty easy, unscrew your gas piston, and screw in this piston which has. Um, the ability to bleed off excess gas and that that only solves part of your problem it'll solve the re the recoil issue but i don't think it does a terrific job at containing port pop because the gas the the gas is already out there at that point an adjustable gas block next the gas down it causes a bigger impedance like what we were talking about earlier it's exactly like a valve for water you just pinch it off until it still runs reliably. And the last thing is to um, to drill a smaller gas port, which is what we do. Um, and that is, that is an economical solution that's also incredibly rugged. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like extra parts where I don't have to have them. And so we've come up with a particular recipe, as have others, it's not rocket surgery, to use a smaller gas port um, that still gets the job done in typical American climates, you know, from say zero Fahrenheit or so up to the 105, 110, you know, up is not a problem. It's down that becomes a problem with colder temperatures or guns that are sticky and not well lubricated. So you mentioned, I want to go back to the first one, which is adjustable gas block. 
there are really two types of adjustable gas blocks and that you can categorize them lots of different ways but the way i think about it is there's sealed gas sealed adjustable gas blocks and then venting adjustable gas blocks so yeah good point yep which what you've got is if you if you're trying to suppress a gun but you also want it to sound good if you have a ambient venting gas block you've all you've done is decrease the input pressure by venting some of it into the ambient space that is still going to make noise so if you want max suppression you want to basically have a gas block that is sealed it doesn't vent any of the excess gas into uh ambient air but it decreases that it constricts that port so that it's a smaller port and allows it to flow in and you can think of this, um, my favorite gas block to use, even though it is an ambient ga venting gas block on the AR platform, is the um, the superlative arms one. I think everybody's kind of familiar with that one. Uh, it's a venting gas block. It has a hole out the side of it that takes the excess gas and blows it out the side of it. That is going to be a little bit louder than if you've just got one with a screw in the front of it that, that changes the size of the port so it can flow through. Uh, these are... These are things that you have to pay attention to when you're talking about especially piston guns because a lot of piston guns have a vent port close to the head of the piston. So, especially AKs, they do. So, that's... I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, that, I would just like to speak on that. For example, superlative gas block is freaking awesome and that it does have a little bit of port pop, if you will, but I believe that gets outweighed through a lot of sound testing we've done that will post better numbers than other gas blocks will. And I think that you get what I would call washover. I mean, if you have on a DB scale downed output of 135 and that I get that gas block is at 125 but it gets washed over so you don't really notice it much it's at all hard to hear with your ear hard to pick up unless it gets really outrageous so I don't I don't find port pop is that big of a problem generally speaking is sometimes people make it out to be gas port pop I should say not ejection port very good point. So now with uh, with this with this back pressure uh, issue, could a change of your spring help with that? It helps, but it doesn't help as much as you think it should. I had a bunch of AK springs made up during early Wolverine development, and they never really changed the meter readings all that much. And I would I put springs in until you couldn't get the guns to work, and they were super hard to retract the bolt, and then I kind of decided that just a regular AK spring's just about as quiet, even port pop-wise, as one of these big heavy springs I had made up. It just didn't give it the delay. Okay. So for anybody who's not tracking, the purpose of increasing the, the spring tension is to try to keep the bolt closed longer. Right. Correct. So that, so that it... The timing. So that the bullet... Yeah, the whole idea is to increase the dwell time so that the bullet is out, and then instead of having the gas flow majority through the gas port, it's now sharing that with the barrel. Kind right. of, it, 
Exactly. Unless you unless you've got a drawing right in front of you, it's kind of hard to visualize. I'm doing it for anybody who can't see it. I'm doing it with my hands, <laughs> but you can't see it. I'm Italian. Now another thing that I've heard uh, that people do is they use uh, RTV silicone. You've heard? Have you heard of that? Yeah, where people roll their own buffer in the rear. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Where they'll cast a buffer in the rear. Yeah, these these are all solutions to the felt recoil from an overgassed piston. Mm-hmm. They don't change the sound so much. But yeah, I have uh, oh Jeff Kirkham, who is a uh, carried a an AK downrange in Afghanistan for like twelve years. He used to roll his own. Was on and, the AK uh, corner last season. Yeah, yeah, and um, he was telling me not that long ago that he really liked putting silicone in the back. Now, as a uh, as a firearms manufacturer, that makes me really, really unhappy and uncomfortable and itchy feeling. Um, but you know, you you don't you don't argue with people that have used the tool downrange and made it work and all that. But my my personal preference is to gas the gun properly so that that never happens now in the case of somebody who's already got an ak that's over gassed um and is you know beating the heck out of the rear trunnion um putting in a a stiffer uh recoil spring can definitely ameliorate that Mm -hmm. sorry make it better um the the thing to understand with uh with springs i'm i'm cracking curtis up over here because yeah (laughs) sorry big words and all that um the thing to understand with with springs is that and i know this will sound maybe obvious but so in first approximation they're dead linear which means that the harder you press on them the the further you press them the harder they push back and so you don't get a lot of resistance at the start of compressing the spring but near the end, it goes up by a fair amount. And so by adding in a stiffer recoil spring like a uh, an ALG or a Wolf or something, you can get those overgas guns tamed down a little bit. I think Mike has had, I haven't played with the KNS pistons much, but I, I believe that Mike is a big proponent of them. Um, I haven't heard anything bad about them, just um, haven't messed with them a lot. And that would be another way to really dump some of that extra gas uh, for recoil man. Yeah, I think Curtis had mentioned that um, so when he was talking earlier. We have a saying in the in the AK community that is an AK that comes with a squishy buffer inside of the housing is a broken AK. <laughs> so if it starts life with one, then it was wrong to begin with. So if you watch an AK cycle in slow motion, if you've got a fast enough camera, you can see... Uh, an overgassed AK that is bottom, the carrier is bottoming out on the rear trunnion, you can see two distinct recoil impulses. So when the cartridge goes off and the spring starts to get compressed, that explosive energy is transferring to the spring components and the stock into your shoulder all at once. And then when that carrier strikes the back, you'll see a second recoil impulse. And you can, if it's bad enough, you can feel it. Now, a lot my- of times it's happening so quickly that you can't, you can't, differentiate the two but if you watch it in slow motion you can see it might our listeners go to your youtube channel and see this do you have a video of this probably somewhere right (laughs) Uh, maybe i i've got probably like 50 or 60 ak videos but i'm sure that there's one in there somewhere yeah 
another gun that has this same double recoil phenomena is a uh, older Browning long recoil action, like a old Remington Model 11 or a Browning Auto 5. You'll feel the double recoil as the cartridge goes off and then as the bolt slams into the back of the receiver. The, the recoil can be kind of harsh on those. Gotcha. All right, so I think we kind of addressed the, uh, the pressure issue there. Uh, what, what, are, what are we missing for another solution for? Well, I took a, a whole different approach on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's hear. Let's hear your approach, Zach. So, um, a good friend of ours, Christian, came up. Uh, he wanted a compact, quiet AK, and we started brainstorming a little bit. And I said, let's just capture everything, all the, all the, um, the gas coming out of the muzzle as much as I could and all the gas for operating the piston and just enclose everything into an integral system. And that's when the, the idea of the Velociraptor started. The integrally suppressed AK-47. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of take everything I had thought and set it aside and just start from scratch. And it's everything in front of the trunnion is whole new. The barrel, the gas block is machined from billet, the um, everything. It's multiple expansion chambers in there, still self-regulating like an AK, and the it still vents inside of it, but it vents inside of the suppressor. Right. So, and it sounds like a fart when you shoot it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and because of it's more of a queef. Us, yeah. Because of the making the barrel from scratch from a barrel blank, we're able to do, like Brian said, make the gas port the right size. It's not over gas, so the recoil is extremely reduced on them. We're not having to deal with excess port prop anyways, and we're tuning everything on the gun so that when the bolt unlocks, the chamber pressure is dropped enough. Yeah. Very good plan. And, this and I know we've got more questions from our uh, listeners on that so when we get to our questions you'll have to probably answer some more but we'll get to that what were you going to say i was going to say that um it's a really it's a concept that's not been done on an ak before it works really well the the only other gun that i'm familiar with that has this kind of system is the aug because it has a terrible gas venting system at the front of the gun and because the port for the piston is so far forward they're the way the people who designed the suppressor for the AUG do it is they just it's just a sleeve that goes over the whole front of the gun and takes both the piston. It's ugly as hell, but it sort of works. But it's not completely sealed, so it doesn't work as good as it could. When you've got a gun that is completely enclosed like the Velociraptor, it really is quiet. I think I fired one of the first ones so yeah, was it two years ago. I think you fired the second model. I think we... So. Uh, I think we both did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. At the uh, uh, thing at Pro Gun Club. The try and buy, yep. anterior mm -hmm. slides, mm -hmm. which is going to be going again in uh, 2020 this year. So mm -hmm. hopefully you guys will be there. Look forward to seeing you there. Uh, so uh, we talked about Dare, Dead Air, the Wolverine. Talk a little bit more about the Wolverine. I don't think we talked complete details on the Wolverine, uh, Mike. Well, it's a, uh, I would say probably the easiest thing to say. It's a, uh, solid weld can it's not disassemblable it's uh stellite baffle stack 
welded together and then that's welded into a stainless tube stainless tube it has a replaceable front cap that you can screw in and out if you want to change the aperture or get like a front cap strike or maybe you want to put a flash hiding front cap or whatever on you can do that with that and that's kind of the it's pretty much geared to go on an AK. Yeah. You know, yeah. out of the box. Um, is it specifically for an AK or can can uh, this go on ARs, multiple calibers? It can go on an A it can go on an AR or any or anything like that. It will just be a direct thread can on that, but it is kind of geared um, specific for the AK. Wise. Yes, venting wise and mounting wise it's It'll, it'll fit on home. the cranks, RPKs. Correct. Okay. What is um? What's the bore on the Wolverine? If you don't, I don't mind me asking, I would I would tell you that it's, you know, it's wire cut and it just I mean, so you have a little bit of variance there, but I'd tell you rule of thumb, it's going to start out about thirty three cal and go to about forty four forty six cal at the end. Okay. Yeah, so that that's the point that I was hoping to make is that the the baffles they they're oh, yeah. they're not all the same size. They they actually get bigger as we go towards the end of the can to account for that that slight difference that we talked about with the with the concentricity of the bore. So I don't, a lot so I don't sell it like this, but yeah, you can use it as a funnel to put power steering fluid in your Honda if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it's awesome. One and two, an oil I, catcher. I bet you after you do that, that it's really quiet for about thirty rounds. Quiet, quiet and smoky and good. Yeah. Fireworks show. <laughs> Give you that mm, mm, mm smell. Yeah, no doubt. There's a lot of people out there that get their panties in a wad over the uh, sealed can thing. Mike, you guys do a lot of testing on this, and Zach, you guys too. People are like, I can't take it apart and clean it. How often do you think that you need to clean a thirty cal can? I'd say never. I mean, it, if you shoot, if you don't, if you shoot lead cast bullets, you'll clog it up. And there are certain situations with certain types of powder and cartridges and temps and rates of fire that can get build up in it. But it's super infrequent. And I would tell a guy, look, if you get it clogged up to clean it can't we just throw a new core in it for you like is that <laughs> clean enough <laughs> i don't know exactly so that that's kind of where i was ho i was hoping you were going to say something like that a lot of a lot of the times most shooters are not going to clog a can in their lifetime and two the other thing that a lot of people will say is oh soviet ammo corrosive ammo maybe corrosive but most of the time, not. But the way to clean a can, if you're shooting corrosive ammo through it, does anybody know the solution? I don't do anything with one. I mean, you could put some cleaners in it, but when I shoot well, corrosive ammo in a Wolverine, I just put it back in the safe. Who cares? Yeah. It's all non-ferrous. not like it's going to rust much. It's well, where I'm going is if you're using a, me a, a, a ferrous can, so uh, the Wolverine is is not uh, 
not applicable to this, but if you are using a ferrous material that your can is made out of, then it's very easy to clean out any corrosive material. You just run water through it. It's mm -hmm. readily dissolves in water. So cleaning is really super easy. Submerge it, throw it in an ultrasonic cleaner if you got one, shake some water through it for crying out loud and it'll be fine. A lot of people, I see a lot of comments about this. Uh, whenever I do a sealed can video, people freak out about this. I think it's because of the cost of the devices. They're worried about the longevity of it. I think it's blown out of proportion more than it needs to be. Uh, a sealed can in many ways is preferable for some applications than a user serviceable can. Okay, yeah, we, had, we had a, uh, a house demo gun that was uh, PKM, and we ran thousands and thousands of rounds through that on one of our older style 30 caliber cans the 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 corrosive nature would interact with the copper fouling inside the can and if you looked inside of it it was always a bright green but there was no actual damage to the can itself hmm interesting you, you know with the with the cleaning corrosive uh, ammo with hot water thing a good buddy of mine he used to be my next door neighbor he would he would go out and shoot seven and six all day long and then he would go back to his apartment and he would wash his gun in the shower and then he would just leave it that way with carbon in the shower and his roommates hated his guts for it it was yeah. it was hilarious reminds me of uh tactical response yep <laughs> yeah there definitely should be a a, a janitor's sink in uh as a as a divorce prevention device in uh, <laughs> in folks cleaning regimen and one thing that that I've done they cost you'd think they'd be a lot of money but they're about thirty bucks and if you got to clean outside just run a hose out to it and plumb it that way but you know just getting a lot of hot water preferably hot water through again works wonders yeah. For anybody who doesn't have utility sink in their house and doesn't want a divorce, I do have a video out from a chemist's perspective on how to clean your kitchen sink after you use the gun or after you use it to clean your gun while your wife's shopping before she gets home. Okay, so just go, go to Walmart and get a plastic tub and clean it in that. For you could if you were prepared. But <laughs> yeah. most of the time, we know how that goes. Yeah. So let's talk about um, that was good because I wasn't I wasn't even thinking about the you know cleaning and servicing. So that was good that you guys brought that up. Talk about the proper way and of attaching a silencer and you know what people need to be cognizant of uh, as they are attaching the suppressors. Uh, maybe not you know one on a uh, you know an American made, but you know one of these these offs that they're not real sure. So talk about so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, maybe if we could back up to a, a really briefly to a third or fourth solution there, which is the companies, including my own, which sell guns that are suppressor ready. Um, so there's there's yes. not a small number of outfits that do this, um, but RD Rifle Dynamics for sure does. I think Krebs does. Um, Occam Defense Occam does. Occam Defense does seventeen seventy five. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So our our default. The off-the-shelf option comes suppressor ready, and um, Dead Air came out with a really cool system, which is one of the reasons that I first really got to know Mike. I was a customer before then, um, but I I wanted our guns to be suppressor ready because everybody wants that with an AK, and a lot of the solutions are really stinky. And the the one downside to the Wolverine is weight. It it solves. 
there's nothing free in this world. And, uh, and the Wolverine does, it slices and dices, makes julienne fries, but it does, it does weigh something. And Mike's other offerings um, in the Sandman line weigh a fair amount less and um, are a little more svelte. Um, because they don't have to contain the thread adapter. And so one cool thing that he came up with is this QD mount, quick detach mount, which is as opposed to direct thread, where you thread the can straight onto the muzzle. And this system he's come up with is is pretty commonly understood to be the best. And what's even better is that he has licensed the tech to other folks. So it's emerging as a standard like USB. And that was super attractive to me because at the time I owned a silencer co omega but i really wanted to just have one mount and he sells an adapter called the kymo i'm not sure exactly the pronunciation i say chemo but i don't know if that's chemo. right yeah chemo, okay yeah the, the key mount system is is overall and and um it adapts from a relatively standard thread at the back of most suppressors um Aklis, a bunch of the Aklis cans will work on it i think it's mm-hmm. one of three eighths by 24 uh, Silencer Co., Energetic, I'm sure Kurt knows the rest of the list there, um, fits a lot of brands. Sure. And then you've got, you've got pretty good mounting, really good mounting, and you can throw it across your different guns. So by default, we have a, a dead air adapter on the front end of our rifles that's been pre-aligned to a calibration standard. And that doesn't mean that you don't need to do the mounting that we're about to talk about with the rod, but it does mean that we've checked it and got it as as tight as we possibly can we still recommend checking um because different companies have different tolerances and just because it's got a a dead air chemo doesn't mean that somebody else didn't do their job so but it is a relatively simple thing and um, that is a third option is just buy a gun off the shelf that has been tuned down like we drill as i said we drill our gas port smaller i know rifle dynamics uses a very similar diameter the one we use that solves an awful lot of the problems. And with the Americanization of the AK-47, like I call it, you know, you're getting more standardization, uh, and you're going to be able to get these off-the-shelf suppressor-ready AKs, just like Brian mentioned. But those who don't have those and are wanting to use a, a silencer, talk about things that they need to be aware of as they're putting these on their, their rifles before they go out and start blasting. So first thing... Um, since we're talking about Comblock stuff, I'll throw an Americanism in here to start with okay. before we go yeah. before we go any farther. Do not put a crush washer between your suppressor mouth and your barrel shoulder. Please stop doing this. I was just at an industry event like two weeks ago, and I walked up to the rep. I was like, "Dude, you're gonna blow one of these up, okay?" And I have a whole video out on this. I'm Try not to be super pluggy for my channel or anything, but but there's a video out on why this is a problem. Don't do that. It goes directly on the shoulder. It should be shimmed if necessary for timing, and then rock set into place. So nothing else. Or welded like Brian does, okay? Um, do not use a crush washer to, to put that in place. It can Good really – it can, it can screw up those – um, we talked about tolerance stacking. Right. It can push the tolerance the, in one of the directions, and we don't want that. We want all the tolerances evenly distributed around that concentricity. We don't want it torqued to one direction or the other. Right. And how are they going to ensure that they're doing that? What What are some some tips and tricks as they're putting that can on? The rod is one way to check and make sure, right? Mm-hmm. With most firearms, you can do just a simple visual check. 
you can pull the bolt, pull whatever, and just look from the breech or from the chamber end down through the muzzle and see if the can is aligned. Occasionally, it'll be out bad enough, and you'll see where it's a crescent shape in there, where clearly the bullet would not clear the end of the can. That's just a quick visual check. The uh, the rod is definitely much better. And there are companies that make rods specific for that, testing mm-hmm. the alignment. Uh, yep. And if you want to be cheap, you can go to the hardware store and get a dowel, you know, and, and try that. Yeah. But, Stop being poor. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah maybe in Tennessee, Marty. So here's the deal, guys. Uh, I'm just going to break down that statement for a second. I'm going to break down that statement for a second. So you spend a thousand dollars on a can. Some are more, some are less. Let's just put it there. Okay, thousand bucks. You spent ten months of your life for your form four, and you spent two hundred dollars on the tax. And I don't, I don't know what other people charge, but a lot of times there's a, a, a decent transfer fee for your paperwork and stuff like that. We'll say that's a hundred bucks. You spend all this money, and then you're going to go to the hardware store and get a dowel that isn't precision ground <laughs> to check and see if you're going to put a high-velocity uh, cartridge or a so, projectile So that. Gosley makes a rod you can get. Um, McMaster Car, I think, has something that uh, that they do, CNC Warrior. Uh, so there's a couple of different ones out there that you can get to ensure that you you got a good yeah. alignment. The purpose-made ones are like 30 35 bucks for most of them. Yeah. And that's... Worth an the ext- investment, like Curtis saying, you know. Extremely, extremely cheap insurance. Yeah. Very good. Any other ways other than the the rod and, of course, you know, the flashlight down the, the barrel visual spec? Any other ways? I mean, so, sometimes I'll just put them in the lathe and actually true them in with a, with a good indicator, but that's not going to be how most people will do it. <laughs> well, most, most let's, just, let's just be a little bit elitist here. <laughs> I just chuck it up in the lathe and let it spin, and if it looks good. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's but, got access to that. So if, if, you, if all those things check out, where the rod checks out, the visual check looks good, and then you put it on your gun and you're seeing a serious point of impact shift, there's an indicator there that something may be amiss. Mm-hmm. Remember we talked earlier about the bully getting too close? You might look at that. And sometimes they can even skip down the, the baffles. Mm-hmm. That can happen. So that's something you should look at. If it's getting too close or if it's actually contacting the baffles, you will see an appreciable point of impact shift. And what I mean by appreciable point of impact shift is off the paper mm-hmm. a lot of times at like 50 yards. So this is yeah. it's something you should be be paying attention to as well so you put this thing on the end you have a responsibility just like every other time you discharge the gun you have a responsibility for every bullet that you send down range so you have to be cognizant of that sort of stuff also make sure that your mounts are tight and secure don't be like half-assing it either because that can cause if the can is rotating that can cause issues as well with that and you want to check that as you're shooting too um yes as as the round count increases you want to check and make sure that it's still secure and tight on there and if it doesn't pass the you know the rod test don't shoot it for god's sake don't shoot it yeah we had a uh, a customer a while back on an ak oddly enough that um he was shooting and an indoor range, like 15 yards, and he wasn't hitting the target. So he went ahead and finished dumping the rest of the mag to see if that helped. <laughs> and pretty much every bullet never exited his can, and it was a lot of fun to fix. His can got heavier and heavier, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah, but he didn't He didn't notice. I don't know. Customers are fun. Uh, if you If you 
just like normal, you when a bullet comes out of the gun. Now, some people may close their eyes when the gun goes off. You know, all that sort of stuff, recoil anticipation. You hope, or I hope anyway, that when you guys are out there shooting, that you're seeing some kind of effect downrange. Whether you're shooting steel and it's giving you some kind of noise, or it's hitting some kind of berm or something like that that's causing some kind of feedback for you to see that there is actually a bullet coming out of the end. With a can, it is really important to make sure that the bullets are indeed coming out of your barrel. Yeah. One Very other good. thing, yep. especially when, when 300 Blackout first got popular, um, make sure your bullets are stable. Shoot the gun without the can. And make sure your bullets are actually impacting at like 10 yards square because that was a very big issue. And I would be willing to bet with some of the new ultra-heavy subsonic AK ammo, some AKs probably won't have um, enough twist or just whatever through various uh, tolerances. Some of those bullets may not be stable. They're grossly heavy for the caliber being in the 190 range or so shoot it and make sure those bullets are working fine because if they're not hitting the paper square they're going to impact the baffles almost every time good point great point. all right i think that's a good one to uh to end our discussion on i want to go and and get some of our listeners submitted questions now uh, unless there's anything imperative that you guys think that we that we need to to go over and we may cover the, some of these in some of the questions so all right let's do that now so this one comes from Clayton, and Clayton says, and I may have read this last week, but I don't think I did. It says, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Guest I would like to see on the AK Corner are, one, Sonny Pazikas, former Spetsnaz and owner-operator for Training Concepts. I searched and saw he was on the podcast years ago. I want to hear from him specifically. Uh, so we have been talking with Sonny. We're just trying to get our schedules to work out. Uh, but, yeah, he'd be a good guest. Jake Masterson of Modern Defense Enhancement, LLC. Um, not familiar with that guy. You guys ever heard of Modern Defense Enhancement, LLC? Yeah, he uh, Jake actually is a friend of mine and does at least half of the stippling that goes on our rifles, and he oh, makes cool. a very fine custom AK. Okay. Uh, he's a young guy, so he, he doesn't have a bunch of years in where people have hear, heard about him, but he's a, he's a gem and um, really good dude. Ethical okay. dude, um, makes great stuff, cares a lot about doing it right. So, yeah, he's great. All right. Very good. And then Clayton goes on to say, also loved uh, episode two, uh, season two, episode two. Great show. Sincerely, Clayton. All right. Uh, FPS Murdoch. Okay, yeah, I know FPS Murdoch. Mm -hmm. see him on our social media all the time. Very good. All right, next oh, one. Blowing up. Blow me up. <laughs> yeah, he's a fellow alumnus. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, Daniel Nowick. Says in the last episode, you went over how many different models have been made all over the world. So, the real question is if you could only pick one to use during the zombie apocalypse, which one would it be and why? Um, I mean, just the one I got, you know, there, there's so many great ones out there. Uh, what about you guys? Do you have a uh, an answer to that? I like the 105, like, it's, it's a good size. Any of the, the 105, 106, 107, anything in that range, they all, like they're, the 12-inch barrel is a good balance between length and compactness, and mm -hmm. it's just one of my favorites. Okay. I'll take a dead stock SAR1 every day, all day long. It's my favorite. Love them. Nice. What about you, Curtis? One, 
one that takes a, one that is oh chambered in five five six. <laughs> One that is chambered in five five six and takes AR fifteen magazines because there'll be plenty of them laying on the ground. <laughs> Brian, you got a preference? I'm not going to agree with Curtis on basic principle, even though he's right. Um, <laughs> but I would say just about anything coming out of Russia or Bulgaria, I would be pretty happy to carry. You know, assuming that an, a U.S. made AK is not available. Yeah. Okay. Mike, I'm pretty open. Oh yeah, no, I'm. I mean, pick your caliber, size, whatever. Like you said, AK, I'm pretty into that. I can make that work. It's an apocalypse, dude. I'm not, you know, being picky here. <laughs> and I'll be damned Just if I won't one. put a, a, a silencer. I'm going to have a silencer during the apocalypse because I don't want those bastards to hear me shooting. Yeah. You know, I'll. I'll probably clean the shelves off at the office on my way home. So if you need an extra one, and I'll be heading your way. The, don't worry. Don't have all those bullshit wait times and nasty <laughs> logbooks to deal with. But let me know. We'll iron that out later. When the apocalypse comes, yeah, you'll, you'll probably have plenty of tinder uh, for your for your uh, post-apocalyptic fire. Now probably. the. Uh, the other thing that I would say is that Marty mentioned is, in addition to the suppression, like the actual sound reduction, there are some secondary and tertiary benefits to putting a can on the end of your gun. One is recoil reduction, and the other one is perception of where the round came from. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, if you are hunting on a property, for instance, where there are lots of people hunting suppressed, a lot of times you will perceive the direction of fire 90 to 180 degrees off of where it actually came from. So a really good example, I was hunting this past week. Uh, almost everybody who was hunting on the property was hunting suppressed. And I thought my brother had shot and it was actually one of my buddies that had shot. And it was, uh, we did the measurement. It was like 110 degrees completely off because the, the actual pop was suppressed, but the supersonic report of the round right. was detectable. Which comes so, in handy in warfare as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if, if anyone's ever been downrange and listened to suppressed gunfire, it is extremely disconcerting and disorienting because you really can't tell where it's coming from. Yep. All right, next question uh, or comment. This comes from Russell Munsell. I'm sure that's not his real name. It says, just a quick note to say thanks to you and your guest from Season 1 of the AK Corner, Marco Vorbiv, another former Spetsnaz uh, guy. I just got my copies of the Gun Digest Shooter's Guide in the AK, uh, of the, uh, to the AK and AK-47 Survival and Evolution of the World's Most Prolific Gun. These books are fantastic and highly recommended. I, I'm sad to say uh, that they weren't even on my radar until I heard your interview. Thanks for spreading the good word. No one is expert enough to not keep learning. Patiently awaiting the next episode of the AK Corner in Alaska. Nice. With bourbon in hand. Cheers, Russell. So, uh, very good, Russell. We've started season two, buddy, so get caught up. <laughs> and then uh, Jason Farmer says, Hi, Lefty. I would like to suggest Rob Ski as a guest on the AK Corner. He's very fun, entertaining, and has a ton of knowledge to drop on the AK platform. Keep powder dry, Jason Farmer. Uh, so Rob Ski, I've met Rob Ski a couple of times, but I haven't really had any, you know, real interactions with Rob. So uh, maybe, I mean, we'll look in, we'll look into that definitely. 
So that's it from our mailbox. So thank you guys for sending those in. So as uh, some of you guys know, uh, I, I tagged you guys on this post that I did before we did the show, uh, our guest, and I asked our listeners to post questions here. So I'm going to go to Instagram first, and we'll go down here. And Mustang Perry says, I would like to hear a discussion on the idea of an integrally suppressed AK, Zach, challenges of doing so and ideas on how to overcome the problems. So we actually talk, we, we've got some episodes where we talk to you guys about the Velociraptor. Uh, and there's some good information there, but just real kind of high level, Zach, could you address that with Mustang? Um, really, one of the neater things I liked about it was everything from the, the front trunnion back towards the stock is completely stock. We didn't change anything. All we do is we remove the old barrel, put a new barrel in, and everything on the can or the silencer is attached to the barrel. So it's all held in. There's no actual real modifications to the gun other than swapping out the uh, from the long gas piston to a short gas piston. Um, okay. Then everything else is just uh, tuning the gas system and uh, some really special venting and different things we do. There's very minor barrel porting in there to kind of get the gas moving the way I want it to move. But um, it, it, I wanted to keep the heart of the AK true on that gun. Functionality was first. Everything else was secondary. Yeah. Hey, Zach, uh, just as someone who doesn't know, how long is the barrel on the Velociraptor? Is it standard 16-inch uh, barrel or is it shorter? Yeah. Nine and a quarter inches. Wow. Okay, cool. Yep. I didn't yeah, nine and a quarter inches and... Uh, we're playing with the beta model right now. The overall length will be between somewhere from the end of the end of the receiver at the front trunnion to the end of the silencer is between 12 and 13 inches. Okay. What's the weight? Because um, it wasn't that heavy. It looks like it's going to be a, a now the original one was ton. like uh, like the one you shot was like uh, it's like seven pounds four ounces yeah. something like that. It's like a normal. So yeah. The same as what an AK weighs. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right, and Mustang, if you want more, you can get in touch with Zach uh, or the guys over at Atlas Defense. They'll be happy to go into more details uh, with you on that. Gun, Soil, and Dirt says, Lovely, Bird Brain Industry, Oh Dear Santa. I think he's uh, looking at his Christmas presents here. Tandem Dooley says, Okay, I have a couple of questions. One, what countries are the worst for non-concentric bore slash barrels? That all in of my them? experience, all of them. <laughs> I was going to say every single one of them. If it's not made in America, don't trust it. There you go. I love Romanian guns, but I have seen some things on Romanian guns that would make you cringe when it comes to barrel threads. So number two is the fact the platform is known for being overgassed an issue. Is the fact the platform in, is known for being overgassed an issue? We talked about that, so yeah. yeah. Uh, are PSLs subjective to the same issues of non-concentric bore issues as the AK? Yes. Okay. This is the last one. What U.S. manufacturer barrel do you recommend for someone building an AK? Anyone? Brian. Um, we don't share who makes our barrels, uh, but I will say that there are some very fine ones made in the U.S., um, and uh yeah it i personally am not a fan of chrome lining which is going to make some people angry but the reason for it is that the 
Uh, plating thicknesses using chrome I have found to be fairly uh, widely varying. I have heard that this is different with the AR platform, which I don't know very much about, but I have had to take chamber reamers and cut out the chamber on chrome-lined barrels because of little extra globs of, of chrome and not like little marbles or something, but like a large areas that had too much chrome in them. And so I personally am a fan of nitride, um, which if you're making a machine gun is probably not a great idea, but for the round counts that most people are interested in, um, it's my belief that, that nitrided barrels in general are going to be more accurate and more dimensionally precise. So to give it, everybody an idea how this works and the difference in the process that Brian's talking about with chrome lining versus nitriding is to chrome line a barrel, you bubble hexavalent chromium through a barrel and it's all in finesse and how it's done. If it's done properly by somebody who really knows what they're doing, you can end up with a better product a, or a, a more consistent product. If it's done by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing or isn't very good at it, then you can end up with a crap product. Nitriding, by contra contrast, is a gaseous prod uh, process. You can teach a 10-year-old to nitride. You put the stuff in, you put it in the chamber, you push the button, and you walk away, let it sit for a little while, and it comes out. And it's all brownie in motion, basically, that drives the actual chemical process. So it's a time thing. So it's really easy to do, but like Brian said, maybe not on a machine gun, on a commercial gun, probably just fine. And again, if you're, if it's being compared to a crappily chrome line barrel, it's way better to have a nitride barrel. It's better to have a nitride barrel than a crappily chrome line barrel. Zach, you got an opinion? Yeah. Uh, one of the big differences between the nitriding and the chrome is the chrome is a deposition process. It actually adds size. So you, in order to chrome, you have to start with an oversized bore and deposit the correct amount of chrome to end up with the correct size finish bore. Because you're not really going to cut the chrome afterwards. It's super, super hard. Like uh, Brian was talking, a lot of AK Smiths chew through a lot of chamber reamers fixing chambers on AKs that have too much chrome and are out of spec. With nitride, you cut the barrel to the correct size, and the nitriding changes the base material composition. So you're not changing anything significantly dimensionally. So you can end up with a more precise barrel. Very good answers, guys. Um, Anthony, did you have a, anything to add to that? Uh, can't say as I do. No, it sounded like we covered okay. everything. Yeah, sounded pretty good answer there. So let's go to the next one. Red lights and orange stripes. This is the episode I've been waiting for. And then some, my friend. A lot of information here. Uh, Bill H., what suppressor seems to work best with the AK platform and caliber? Not all are created equally, and as such, I'm curious. Anybody want to tackle that one? Well, I think we're all the Wolverine. The Wolverine, if it's going on just a, a standard AK, it, because of the the oversized bore and stuff, you like Mike alluded to, you lose some things with going with that. If it's properly gassed and has a good uh, muzzle threads, you can go with a more dedicated thirty caliber can, and you'll gain some of the sound performance back. Yeah. Such as an yeah, that's Orion? A, that's a toughie. Orion works well, yeah. Okay. 
so this next one is directed toward toward, toward Mike. Compare and contrast Sandman K versus Sandman S. Are they both hearing safe with 762-39? They both can be, but I would tell you that most likely the S will be and the K will not be. It just depends on how the guns are tuned and their barrel length and the ammo. A K is meant to be, uh, in like LE terms, I'd call it a entry can, and in regular civilian terms, I'd call it a truck gun can. An S is meant to be more of a shooter can, like something you'd shoot all day at the range and, you know, shoot more rather than just, you know, getting that little limited exposure to it. You gain the advantage of weight and length with a K, and it's louder. That's just kind of the world we live in. Okay. Yeah, the, if I may jump in, because I yeah. love both of those cans, and I'm, I'm constantly getting asked by my customers which one they should get. And um, one way that I think about the K, which I really like, is that it is like the nicest flash hider you've ever had, plus it knocks down the concussion a fair amount, but you wouldn't want to use it without ears. And the S, um, if you're not particularly, and it, it's light and compact and everything Mike said, and then if, um, if you want even more sound suppression and you don't mind the weight, the S is, is even more comfortable and is, is borderline hearing safe. But you know, with any supersonic round, I know that I know that they're technically hearing safe, but a supersonic crack is no fun to be around. Um, yeah. I just really like that the lack of fatigue that I get shooting the S. If I've got the choice, I'm going to be shooting a lot. The S is is really nice, just just like what Mike said. But but it's a there's definitely a difference between the two. Okay, go with the L. Tell him to go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that Shout comes, some barrel off with the L on. Came from John Adams the third, so thank you, John, for that. Uh, FBX Russ, he wants to hear some discussion on the nine by thirty nine and its use in Ventura's weapon systems. Uh, we can talk about that later. His question is: What are the pros and cons of integrally suppressed rifles compared to guns with attached cans? Um, one of the bigger pros is size. You have a 16-inch barrel, and you attach a can to it, and you're adding anywhere from four to six, eight inches on the end. Uh, if the can is designed around the gun, you're not going to be adding much. The, uh, like I said on the Velociraptor, it's a nine and a quarter-inch barrel, and it's 12 inches overall. But I have the volume inside of a full-size can because it does go back over the barrel a good bit. And then, of course, the, the rectangular shape and everything else gives me more volume than I would have with just a round can. I can I can play and do a whole lot of stuff inside that that I can't do with a traditional shape can. Sure. The obverse side was flat sides are not very good pressure vessels. Like when you look at high-pressure devices, they're generally round. When things expand, they want to go to a round shape. And that was one of the... Um, one of the design construction constraints I had and going forward with it was getting all that um, sorted out. Okay. Mike, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think that uh, I totally agree, and it's almost like asking a guy if he should buy a car or a truck. Like, I don't know, you got to figure out what fits what you yeah. want to do and go with that. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard question. With the muscle cans, you can move them around. 
you could have a, a can that would fit an AK and then your 308 bolt gun and stuff. Whereas something like the Velociraptor or any other Integral, it's that's that's where it is. It's there. Cool. Let's be honest. Both is the right answer. Both. It, that's that's <laughs> true. Sorry, I don't agree. That's around it any longer. There you go. <laughs> Good answer. All right. Well, yeah, um, that's one of the really nice things about the Sandman line is that I can have it on my AKs, and if I'm taking my little girls out shooting with their 22s, I can just slap a Sandman right on their 1022, and and all of a sudden they've got a suppressed gun. It's a lot more fun for them. Okay. Fisher 2989, aside from the suppressor chat, please be sure to discuss which suppressor mounts work best with the AK. I think we gave you a good one there, didn't we, with the dead air? Yeah, there's or, there's a bunch that'll work. Um, my personal preference is for the, the key mount system. And if you're talking about getting it re-threaded, your world is pretty wide open. Yep. Use what I've, you like. I've had the pleasure and displeasure of testing a whole bunch of cans and to date i would say that the best mount on the market is the dead air mount and and mike doesn't pay me to say that or anything like that like it's <laughs> Un- it, unpaid really solicitation gotcha yeah it's kind, of, it's kind of you to say and it seems awkward because i've got that little i can see I can see you a little bit. You're on a little tiny screen on my phone. <laughs> Gonna have to say something. Nice. <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a good enough design that I didn't want to try and compete with it. So we just went ahead and used it. Like, I mean, that speaks it, volumes right there. Holy, yeah. Holy cow! All right, so uh, let's run through these. Kenneth uh, H. McGee, does the 762 by 7.62x39 suppress better function out of an AK or an SKS? What's an SKS? Okay. <laughs> Daniel, has anyone here seen a suppressed SKS? I've never seen that before. <laughs> that would be kind of cool, I guess. I did a, uh, I took a because it's already factory threaded, a uh, Yugo SKS, mm-hmm. and took their little device off the end and then threaded a can on it, and then I even put the, you know how it has the grenade launcher? I redrilled that so it had. Mine has normal operation and suppressed instead of grenade launching. <laughs> and that's a pretty good sadly, idea. Actually, kind of sucks. Kind of sucks. The like SKS I put the does. thing back on and was like, "Well, that would have been cool, but it kind of wasn't." So, not not a great host. Okay. Mm. So, not a bad question there, Kenneth. I retract my laugh at you. Great uh, question, Daniel. No, do it. Says, how do you make sure your suppressor is? Correctly aligned with the threading on the barrel. We talked about that. Uh, Ryan Martin, the one with the wood stock. Okay, he's talking about the... Not a question. Uh, here's one. John Adams, can the Wolverine be used as a direct thread on a non-AK platform such as ARs? And you mentioned that, too. Yes. And that's a big, fat yes. Make sure I like how nobody touched the 9 by 39 question earlier. <laughs> no, I skipped over that because that's going to be a whole other discussion. We've kind of talked about it in a couple other episodes on the, the 9 by 39 So, Is there something you want to add to that, Curtis? I mean, I'll have Not you back on when we... correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. We talked about the process of cleaning suppressors on the AKSV and the Sandman. Uh, any special cleaning processes on those? <sighs> I mean, the Velociraptor comes completely apart. If uh, if someone wants to take it apart, that's fine. It'll be made out of, um, the barrel will be nitrided uh, steel, just like 
most other barrels, and then the uh, the silencer itself was heat treated seventeen four. So okay, you can run water through it if you want. You can shoot it and send it to us if you feel like having us clean it, and it it'll hold up. And there's not a whole lot of corrosive seven six two by thirty nine. The older Russian stuff, some of the Chinese stuff, the um, the Yugo stuff. Most of the stuff people shoot will be non-corrosive current manufacturer. Just guessing. All right. Uh, last question. This comes from Pierce Taylor. It's from Mike. When will Wolfman suppressors be available again? I believe they are about to ship to wholesale a couple weeks. And tell us what a Wolfman suppressor is for those who don't know. It's a uh, basically a nine millimeter subgun can that's modular. You can make it a little shorter, take the front down module off of it. It's rated for light, smaller rifle fire and aggressive center fire handgun use. In essence, gotcha. I like the way he uses his terminology there. Aggressive center fire. Handgun ammunition. I like that. I'm writing that down. Yeah, I'm going to use that later. <laughs> yeah, that means we go to the third selection or maybe fourth, whatever kind of subgun you have, HK or whatever, and auto that thing. Nice. <laughs> dig it. All right, that's all the questions that we have from the Landhead Brigade. Uh, great show, guys. Anything else to add? Uh, on our discussion, you think we missed anything, something pertinent that they need to know? I think we covered a lot. I think we did did good. All right, so it's time to give away a Canic TP9SF1 series, ladies and gentlemen. And we've got Anthony with Century Arms slash Canic slash Red Army Standard White Box slash U.S. Palm. There's so many slashes in there at this point. It's it's getting a little absurd, but right. Yeah, yeah. We we got a, we got a lot of sub brands. You do, you do, and uh, you know, Canic being one of those, and uh, we've had a couple of shows on the Canic. Uh, so you guys make sure you go back to uh, some episodes prior to this. I can't remember exactly which ones uh, they were, but four or five back, I do believe. Um, and we had some great information on that. We're going to be talking more about it on the regular show coming up. Uh, but one of you lucky AK Corner listeners uh, that took the time to participate with us during this episode is going to have a very Merry Christmas this year, and we're going to be giving away that Canic TP9SF. So we're going to take it from one of the uh, people who submitted questions today on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm going to go down through here. I'm going to sign a number to everybody, and I'm just going to go through as you appear on my screen. So, Anthony, uh, as I read a name and a number, mark that down for me, and then we're going to do a uh, a random numberizer. Who's got a random numberizer between Curtis and Zach and and Brian? There, Curtis, you got one. You got a random numberizer. You can pull up. You're muted, Curtis. Sorry, I was being courteous and I had myself muted. We don't use a random numberizer. Uh, we put, we write them on pieces of paper and then put them in a bucket and shoot them with a twelve gauge. 
and whoever survives, that's who we pick. Okay, Zach, do you have a random <laughs> numberizer? Um, <laughs> I can find one on the Google. <laughs> on Google. There, there is one on Google. Yeah, yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah, but so, uh, I think if you if you do the bucket thing, it should be whichever name flies out the farthest. And I would love to that do that, but we don't we don't have that set up yet. So we're gonna have to do a random we, numberizer. We use, sometimes we'll use Dragon's Breath though, so it really does work. Whoever survives, only the only drawback being that we have to make duplicates just in case nobody survives. We could do uh, we could use binary. That would be an idea. We could do that one time. And it shreds it up really. Really, trust me. Oh, the dragon's breath, Dutton. (laughs) (laughs) No one survived. Right. (laughs) No winners. I get the hostage. No situation. All right. So, uh, Anthony. Yeah, I'm here. Mustang Perry is number one. Okay. Gun, soil, and dirt is number two. Bird brain industry is number three. Tandem dually is number four. Red lights and orange stripes. And you can abbreviate if you want to. Is, yeah, I'm already is, already kind of ahead of you on that yeah, one. Yeah, is is number five. And these are just as I'm going down. This is your number. So I mean if you've if you've gone and you've commented after we've already done this, uh obviously you don't count. So this is as of two fifty five PM on December the tenth. Bill H is number six. John Adams the third is number seven. Fisher two nine eight nine. Fisher two nine eight nine. What am I on eight? That would be eight. Okay, that would be eight. Jason Edgar would be nine. John Palmer will be ten. Pierce Taylor is that eleven? Daniel Nowick, 12. Ryan Martin, 13. So there's your numbers. There's your assignment. Zach is the decider of your fate for the <laughs> Canic TP9 SF1 series. So let's, let's randomize those 13 numbers, Zach. Yep. See who the lucky winner is. And Google says eight. Number eight, Fisher 2898. I'm sorry, 89. 2889. Fisher. Hold on. 2989. 2989. There you go. Fisher. 2989. You have to be legally capable of owning a firearm to to win this. If you don't, we're going to substitute it with some swag or something that you can have. Uh, and then someone else will get the Canic P- TP9. Uh, but just a great gun. I really love the Canics. I had a great time when Adam came up, brought him to Nashville. Uh, we had a public shoot there at Royal Range USA. And uh, I really fell in love with those guns. I, I really like the Canic. Kurt, you've got some uh, experience with the Canic. We've got videos out uh, from our testing on every single Canic except for the original TP9. So when everybody was complaining about the decocker, the very, very first one, the very first model that was imported, we didn't have that one. Actually, that was the second one. Believe it or not, there is a first-generation TP9 uh, that has a different frame, and it's double-action, single-action. But there's not a huge number of them out there. Did it ever make it to America? It did. We we, we sold them, I I think, for about a year. 
they weren't nearly as popular as the current line of Canics. Uh, there's huge ergonomic improvement in the frames from the first generation to the second generation that starts with the TP9SA, the one that had the decocker on top, and then all subsequent models. That's what I mean. So we had we have the TP9SA. Oh, okay, so sorry. Oh, okay. We had the TP9SA. Nice. We don't have that model that you were talking about. So, um, but anyway, the most recent one that I did was the um, subcompact, the SC. Yeah, the new one. like that gun. Yep, I like that gun. It fits all the other current holsters. Uh, great gun. I actually have, like, of my strategically positioned firearms <laughs> around the house, it includes several canics. Very so cool. There you- yeah, so make sure you guys go to Curtis's um, YouTube channel. Uh, he's on full thirty, also, and you can watch those videos there. Uh, get get his uh, take on that. Um, so, who do we say that Fisher two nine eight nine talking at gmail dot com? Shoot me an email with your contact info. I will put you in touch with um, the guys over at Century Arms. They'll get your your information. Make sure that uh, you're all legal and ready to go, uh, and then make uh, arrangements to get you that that canic. So, Merry Christmas. Uh, we're going to continue to give things away every episode. We've got we've got prizes to give away. We've got more guns to give away uh, on the Talking Lead AK Corner. Nobody gives you more than Talking Lead and Century Arms and Occam Defense Solutions and Red Army Standard and U.S. Palm and Real Avid making those awesome cleaning kits and cleaning mats for specific for the AK-47. So make sure you go and support those that support the AK corner guys give your give your information we'll start with uh, Curtis VSO gun channel how can people get in touch with you if they've got questions they want to watch your stuff they want to follow you if you are on a social media platform and we are on it it's VSO gun channel so if, if easy to find you want to find it yeah easy to find we own it sometimes Google will even give it to you if you just type in VSO although there's another organization out there that's not as cool as us isn't there a hair shampoo called VSO I think so, and Paul I Mitchell. may even, I <laughs> might even make them like pay me royalties. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, talk about Atlas. Yep. Uh, yeah. There again, um, uh, pretty much any social media, anything Atlas Defense. Uh, we have website atlasdefense.com. Uh, we post up some YouTube videos and stuff. Uh, Facebook is one of the easier ways. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I'm on Facebook, pretty public on most of the forums. And um, yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, you can also go to our website and just put in a search for Atlas Defense, uh, Zach Hall, Joe Mo, and uh, find our past episodes with those guys on there. Um, uh, is Mike still with us, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yes. Give, um, give you internet, we do the regular internet, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. It's just dead air silencers. Dead air. Should be pretty easy to find. And then they can go to their local dealers and, and purchase your, your cans. Can they buy them online from your website? You could. Uh, well, you're going to have to have it transferred to someone in your state, obviously. So. Yeah. If you have any questions like that, just hit us up. I'll answer that for you. We'll help you find a dealer and get you through whatever you need. Very cool. And you guys have shirts and hats and, and cool swag, stuff like that? Yeah, we have a – you can buy that kind of stuff on our uh, web store. So Okay. 
you want to, you know, look cool. Like, I wish you could see me right now, but I have a dead air shirt on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wish I had one. I just got this old tank shirt. Could make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. You know a guy. Uh, I like that. I like that. Uh, Zach, let's do anything. Um, I don't know. I design stuff. I don't sell stuff. Okay. So. Just go check their social medias. It should be posted yeah. there if they're if they got. I know we stuff. did have a bunch of stuff for uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yeah. We run sales all the time on various things. Yeah, so great stocking stuffers it. over there too. Yeah. I mean, they got all kinds of cool swag over there at Atlas Defense. So go check them out. There's the shot glasses. I really like those. The mm-hmm. the bourbon bullets. I love the bourbon bullets that you guys have. Uh, very cool stuff there. Uh, Brian, of course, Occam Defense Solutions. I know you guys have been running some things uh, here and there. Uh, this holiday season yeah we just finished up a whole bunch of sales we have that ongoing thing for leadheads where if you mention that you're a leadhead when you place an order for a rifle we'll throw in one of our propaganda banners in the box when we ship your gun they're a big two foot by three foot vinyl banner with um some of our agitprop you know sort of commie commie art that we've repurposed for liberty um and uh yeah on social media we're facebook and instagram occam defense solutions that's o-c-c-a-m as in mama and um i'm the admin on uh on instagram i have helpers on facebook but if you want to chat me up that's that's the easiest way to to do tech stuff we're of course available at the shop um our website is occamdefense.com and you can email us or call us if you got questions um we do try to uh provide great customer support and so we know that a rifle in particular is a big investment and uh talking over the details is part of the deal so don't hesitate to pick up the phone and figure out what you need there you go he even went as far he even went as far as to suffer my brother for a <laughs> custom build okay so that's saying something about that i'm going to tell you that right now <laughs> we all know bacon's a little bit out there i'm doing a fluttery thing with my fingers oh yeah 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 Yeah, bacon commissioned the most interesting ak that we uh we have had ordered to date yeah it's it's gonna be awesome and very different very cool and uh hopefully i'll get mine before the hunting season is over because i do want to take it out and uh shoot some whitetail with it yeah, I think when we're, we're building years next week here. So, yeah. Can't wait. Coming out. Uh, yeah. Anthony, Century Arms, the preceding sponsors of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Uh, thank you guys for all the support that, uh, that you've been giving the show. I know the lead heads appreciate the, the giveaways and the prizes that you guys are putting up. Uh, what do you guys got going on uh, the rest of the year? Do you got some specials, deals, anything? You know, I, I'm not aware of anything specific that's coming up. I know our surplus division guys work really hard. Last year they did a, a, a 12 days of Christmas sale on a lot of the surplus stuff we have on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're going to be doing that again this year, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, other than that, I haven't heard of any uh, any specific holiday sales. I have seen um, that you guys have uh, been in partnership with some giveaways. Uh, you know, some of these uh, giveaways that you see on Instagram where people have like these package giveaways. I've seen you know some of your stuff in those. So keep your yeah. eyes open uh, for those type things. And I try to repost those when I see them so the leadheads uh, can take part in those. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that's it, guys. Great show today. Thank you so much, uh, Mike, 
for taking the time. I hope you had a good time being your first time on the, the podcast. We'd love to have you back. You get to have me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, like I said, love, love to have you back on. Um, maybe get you on the regular show and we'll just talk We'll talk dead air. Uh, and of course, sure, I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, Curtis and Zach, always a pleasure to have you guys on. Appreciate your support over the years and uh, helping me keep the show going. You guys are awesome. Love you. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for the invite, man. Yeah, and Brian, again, putting this all together, this show is thanks to Brian Keeney, getting it organized, getting our our subject matter in order, uh, and uh, our guest. So, Brian, thank you, and we appreciate you as a supporting uh, sponsor of Talking Land and the AK Corner. Thank you, brother. Uh, Thanks. Privilege to be here. All right, Leadheads, keep those questions coming in. Keep the participation going. That's how you win. That's how we award these prizes each and every month on the Talking Lead AK Corner. So everybody have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we'll be back in January. Outtakes, outtakes, outtakes. So amazingly epic <laughs> that it is like blowing the dynamic range of your camera out. It is so awesome. There's uh, <laughs> we have uh, LEDs from big ass fans, and they're like right above me. So. <laughs> I have the same problem. Like I can tell if I like wash my hair that morning because it's like it'll be too shiny and yeah. it'll blow out the camera, and I'll have to go take a shower before I can film. Put your, put your yarmulke on. Yeah, you know, I thought I thought about it because I was like, you know what, I could I could claim that I'm a messianic Jew and then walk around with a yarmulke everywhere, just to cover the spot. Just to cover the spot. Have you met Eli Curtis? I don't think so. Yeah, he's a a farmer down in um, Columbus, Georgia, and okay. <laughs> he raises raises pigs and cows. He's like, he's like, I'm a, I'm a bad Jew, but bacon's delicious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's awesome. You know, if you think about it, there aren't many animals that give the spectrum of taste yeah. as mm-hmm. a pig. <laughs> think about it. You could have bacon, ham, pork chop, swallowmog, like so many different ones. And his, his are free range. And he goes to the farmer's market and gets the produce that doesn't sell. So he feeds them fresh produce plus free range. They're, the meat on them is dark like beef. Nice. It's absolutely amazing. I had I had um, pork rinds for the first time off of a real animal. Like not like the commercially packaged like air puffed ones. Mm-hmm. But like it looked like it looked like stained glass. Yeah, you know, like a thick, really brittle stuff, like really leaded glass when it came off the animal. Hey, and it crunched when you Mm -hmm. when you had your fork, you know, and you had to eat them with a fork because they were so sloppy too. Um, But man, I tell you what, I have never had that before, and it was so amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, coronary arteries disease is coming my way. (laughs) I don't even believe that like the amount of cholesterol that you eat has anything to do with it. But I was like this, like if you eat too much of this, this will kill you. Yeah. (laughs) We got, uh, uh, what they call cracklings down here, which are kind of like, uh, chicharrones in Mexican. And yeah, it's like, oh, crunchy chunks of meat with fat attached to them. And it's so good. Yep.
I call cracklings those things you get from uh, Captain D's. You know, those little crunchy things nah. they put in there. Yeah, that's not the same. We don't yeah. count that. Those no, are that's good though. Yeah, he's probably handled an AK or two. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, Marty, is this bad? Is that going to cause a problem? What, you rubbing your leg? Is this going to be a problem? Yeah. Yeah, if you keep doing that, it will be. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Just, just, just don't do that. <laughs> Dick. I'm looking forward to this one. This is great. <laughs> Oh, man. I haven't had any alcohol today either. <laughs> I thought about it. Uh, seriously thought about well, it. I... <laughs> Some may say it's a little early to drink, but thankfully you guys aren't one of those. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you won't get that from this crowd. <laughs> Hell no. Is there anything in particular that somebody feels strongly that they, they, they know a little bit more about it they feel than maybe the rest of the group i bet you mike pappas knows more about that air <laughs> probably so probably <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't zach seem to know a lot it's part of my job is to know know what else is out there so that a boy 